Hey everyone, welcome to episode 157 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I'm sure you noticed some different intro music this week. That is because it is the music of this week's guest, John Whitaker. John is a professor of music at the University of Alabama and a great photographer. This week we did a deep dive comparing and contrasting music and photography, both from a learner's and a teacher's perspective. We also discussed some parallels in the music world as it relates to popular music and popular styles of landscape photography. Over on Patreon this week, we talk all about the concept of finding your voice and what John has learned about it in the music world and how it might apply to your photography world. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, just real fast before we get started, I did want to let you know that I'm getting ready to release some videos on how to use the popular GPS phone app, Gaia GPS, from a landscape photography perspective. It is one of my favorite applications and it is a critical part of my outdoor experience and workflow. If you're interested in checking that out, take a peek at the show notes. Okay, let's get to the show. Awesome. Well, John Whitaker, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. First, I guess, uh, thank you so much for supporting the show over on Patreon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an easy thing to do because there's been so much content and, and people on the show and just has opened my eyes to, you know, a bunch of different photographers and techniques and and uh, sort of turned me on to to all things nature and and I hope other people listening will will sort of jump on board and and throw you uh throw you some some dollars here and there. So <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, so let's hear a little bit about you. What what's kind of what's your background and how did you get started in this fun world of photography? Well, I'm uh my full-time sort of day job and career is that I'm a professional musician and, and educator. Uh I teach trombone at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I also wish that I could take uh, any credit at all for the success of the football team, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all in, in terms of all things Crimson Tide athletics. Um, I have advanced degrees in music and in, and in teaching and um, the photography thing sort of came very late in life for me or later in life. Um, I have an 11 year old daughter and that year that we were expecting her at Christmas time, we, my wife and I discussed, well, what could we, you know, sort of do for the family uh, Christmas gift wise. And so we decided to buy ourselves a camera, a good camera. And we had 
chit-chatted with the, one of the photographers at the university that I was teaching at at the time and asked what his recommendations were. And he was an icon guy. And he says, well, if you get an icon, I can let you borrow stuff and help you learn how to use it. So um, <laughs> sold. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So we bought it. We bought an icon and then um, it probably wasn't eight years until I took the thing off of auto. Um, and I had a, a, a buddy of mine that is also a musician, but also works, uh, as a photographer and sort of media content creator for the army band in Washington, DC came to visit and sort of showed me a few things. And I was pretty much hooked at that point. Um, and the other kind of cool thing about my job at the university is that I've sort of parlayed a little bit of photography responsibilities into my music teaching. So I'm, I'm, mm. I serve as the official photographer for the marching band, um, at the university of Alabama, which sort of gives me media access and, and, um, allows me to travel with the group anytime they go, um, to, to, any of these sort of bowl games, national championships, road, road games or whatever. And that sort of came along by accident as well. Um, my wife and I were just traveling with the band to uh, New Orleans for a national championship game. I happened to bring said camera that I mentioned earlier with me, took a few pictures. The band director saw them on the back of the camera. And so, man, those look great. Um, we kind of need somebody to do this. Would you be able to, you know, photograph the band on a full-time basis? And I said, Sure. And so the next six months, it was me trying to figure out if I actually could do that or not, because I didn't really know what I was doing. That's um, awesome. He, he did it based on what he saw in the back of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, that looks that looks awesome. Could you, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I could do that. No problem. And, you know, that sort of ties in a little bit with what we're going to talk about musically, you know, in a way, it, you know, it's, you know, if you get called for a gig, you know, to, to play or whatever, you should never... I think you should never say no. You should always say yes and then figure out <laughs> figure out how to do it because it makes you more marketable that way. Hmm. And then even more recently the you know the they're they're trying to up the social media and web presence of our school of music and needed um needed some you know some photographs and it was either buy a camera or have me do it. And so now my official service to the school of music is to photograph, um, as many events as I can. And basically that, you know, the school owns those photographs. So it's gotten me out of a lot of committee work and extra meetings and things that, that, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of welcome. So if any, anybody out there listening is, is, uh, you know, a photographer and also works in work in academia, I'm sure a lot of department heads are going to try to figure out how to parlay that. So, yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about this philosophy you, you just said about always say yes, because um, in speaking with a lot of full-time professional photographers, um, you know, the the mantra that I hear a lot of people saying now is feel free to say no if it's not a good fit or if it's not, you know, worth your time. So I'm curious kind of what is driving your thoughts on always say yes. Yeah, well, there's there's several sort of threads we could run there. One is this: when you're young and you're you're sort of building a career and building an, an you know your experience as a musician, particularly as a freelance musician, um, people tend to want to say no to things that aren't either high profile or don't pay very much or um, things along those lines. And so the the first line of thinking would be, you know, if you don't have any experience, you really have no um, 
justification to not do, you know, a free gig is, is, will be experience and that might be a bad experience and you'll learn from something from that. Um, but in terms of other styles and genres of music and, you know, I mean, if they call you at the, at, you know, three hours before you're supposed to stand up and be the front, front guy of a, of a jazz combo and you're not, you don't improvise and you're not a jazz musician and you know, no tunes, you probably shouldn't say no to that. Um, but if you get called for something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone and you have time to prepare, it, it's sort of a valuable learning experience to sort of put yourself in the ringer like that to, to gain that. And then if, if it's successful, they call you back, you get to do it three or four more times. And then all of a sudden you can sort of build yourself as someone that can, can do that, you know, you, that you have that skill. And um, I guess if, uh, if it doesn't go so well, you can, re- you, you just know now like, Oh, that's not something that I'm cut out for that. And they probably not call you back. Um, <laughs> if it doesn't go well, I mean, I think the, the ultimate goal of being on a gig is, you know, to be successful, but the ultimate goal really is to be called back, you know, and you feel like if, if you play with a group and they ask you to play again, they liked what you did. Um, they liked your playing, you weren't a jerk, you know, you, 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 you know, you fit in well and they would like to work with you again. I think that's probably the best compliment of all in mm-hmm, terms of, mm-hmm. you know, a freelance musician. It's a little different, I think probably in photography in terms of, um, you know, a lot of starting out, I would guess freelance photographers aren't getting called to go and do shoots. There's more that people go out and shoot and then try to get their work published or discovered, if you will, or, or noticed somehow. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that anybody particularly, you know, someone like me just starting out in photography would get just randomly called to go, you know, hey, we need content for this this social media campaign. Could you go do that for us? You know, I think it's a little bit different, but yeah, it's, um, most of the people that I've talked to about it. Um, it seems like the common thread is that they went out and just, you know, took photos for themselves that they were passionate about that they wanted to do. That was fun. Somebody at in the right place at the right time saw that work and then decided they wanted to reach out to have them produce something for them. And then like a lot of people, they just kind of get sucked into it and they love it. And then, and then it just becomes a race, you know, yeah. keeping yourself in, in front of people trying to develop business opportunities and things like that. So I don't know how many people I've talked to in photography where it just was kind of an accident. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to interview you, but it's a quick a question along those lines. Do you feel like people now, I mean, since, I mean, it seems like there are less magazines and things like that being published. Do you think people still, you know, if someone were listening to this and they were just starting to get into wanting to do landscape photography in particular, is there still a vehicle in a, in a outlet for that in terms of people getting found and, and making a living through publishing in any way? I think so. I, I think, um, you know, those traditional forms of media like magazines and whatnot, where those that used to be kind of the staple of a lot of people's business. I think now it's shifted more towards digital marketing and content creation and, you know, cr- creating small videos or time lapse sequences um, or, you know, producing a set of images for a particular project. I think there's definitely still a lot of um, opportunities out there for that kind of work. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's out there. I think you have to hustle more. I think you have to mm-hmm. put yourself out there more. You have to be a lot more comfortable with people saying no. 
Um, you have to kind of just be fearless in terms of, you know, people are going to say no and that's fine. No big deal. It's move on and find, you know, find someone else to talk to. Yeah. Um, and, and just in your description of that, it sort of ties into what we said about the musician thing, you know, because I, I think a lot of these digital content people are going to want stills and they're going to want time lapses and they might even want drone footage and they might want, you know, and so if, if a photographer hasn't, that, that could be an, uh, an angle to where, you know, they say yes to a gig and then they figure out how to shoot time lapses, for example. I mean, I, I can't imagine if their still photography is, is good enough to get noticed that they haven't, you know, figured that out at that point, but that might be an example. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I just, uh, it's kind of cool. I got, I just got reached out to yesterday by REI. Oh, wow. They're, they're building a new, uh, store here in Colorado and they were searching for, I guess in every REI, they have these giant murals that go up behind their cash registers. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, so they're looking for one for this new store. So I've wow. been sending them potential images for that. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Will you get to choose the the print medium and all that, or do they have their own I people? am sure I won't. I'm sure it's like they kind of have their own process. Yeah. So, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess the reason I brought that up is there's still work out there. I mean, this, this is like April, 2020 during COVID-19. So, I mean, there's still opportunities to be had. You just have to, I don't know think about how you're going to get your work out there and noticed. And, you know, I think, yeah. I think it's definitely a doable. It's just, um, it's a longer game now. I think, you know, it's, um, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I was really hoping to talk to you about was kind of, you know, the similarities between learning and studying a musical instrument versus learning and studying photography, because you've, you started out in the music world and then you kind of had to pivot, you know, for not only for your most, your self-interest, but also because the university was like, Hey, you should do this for us all the time. Um, I would love to know kind of what your thoughts are on what the similarities are between those two art forms. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just a little bit timely that we're talking about this because just a day or two ago or yesterday, maybe at the time of this recording, I listened to the, to the panel discussion about COVID-19 and sort of how yeah. um, the photographers and I think all, but maybe one, if not all of the guests mentioned that they had, they were musicians in some shape, form or fashion. And yeah, um, which I found it kind of interesting, but I wouldn't say that I learned photography the same way that I learned to play a musical instrument, but um, having, you know, having sort of spent the, the better part of my life teaching people to play music, um, you know, they, they are similar in a way. I mean, and you have the, you have the craft or the technical end of, of music. And you also have the artistic and the creative side of music. Mm -hmm. Um, and my, yeah. So like simply put the craft side is just understanding your instrument and like how to make chords and how to play notes. Yeah. So for me, it's, we deal a lot with, the breath and how to how to maximize you know the because because I, I I teach and play the trombone and it's a it's considered a wind instrument so you we spend a lot of time talking about the breath and how to take the air in and the best way to sort of get rid of that air um, seems silly to have to talk about that so much because we've been doing that you know since the minute we were born but it it uh, <laughs> it is incredibly important and we also talk about how to formulate 
what's called an embouchure, which is basically the shape that your lips are in that, that go into the mouthpiece to sort of make the sound. Um, there, are, there are different articulation sort of considerations, basically how you use your tongue and the shape of the mouth, kind of like when you speak to get certain sounds out of the instrument. And then just the other physical aspect is either the the slide for me or the valves or keys on a trumpet or, you know, a clarinet or whatever. So the craft of it for me as a teacher is basically teaching students the nuts and bolts, you know, mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. do this, do this, do this, and a sound um, will, will come out. Um, so the, 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 the photography side of that would be the exposure triangle, ISO aperture. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ab- absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the artistic side or the creative side, and sort of on the photography end of things, what sort of stemmed this thought for me was an episode a month or two ago. You were talking with you seem this seems to be a topic that comes up a lot about creativity and photographing icons versus going to locations <laughs> and finding your own you know, finding your own composition or just doing your own thing with that. And it's, it's kind of funny how in a lot of ways it ties into music, but, but in terms of the creativity and artistic side of being a musician, particularly a classical musician, um, which is sort of what I deal with mostly, um, you know, the actual sound that you can produce on a brass instrument can be changed based on the concept of that sound that you have in your head. So could not, could be sort of, um, directly related to having a vision for, you know, the composition that you want to capture or, you know, what you're going to do if certain light does this or does that or certain conditions or whatever. Um, And then the other artistic sort of end of things of just how you interpret phrases and how you, and how you, you know, inflect different, different, um, you know, phrases and, and peaks and valleys and stuff in the phrase. Um, You learn that basically by studying, other artists, um, mm-hmm. and living a little bit, you know, you, it's just not too many really expressive, you know, middle school players, right. But, <laughs> but you know, you, you get a player that's sort of well into life and that's lived a little bit and, and, and had their heart broken and also been excited about stuff or whatever. You can really tell that they're able to sort of capture that and communicate that to the audience. Um, and so when you're, when you're performing, you're really sort of communicating, your feelings and thoughts on what the composer had to say with that particular piece and hoping that the audience is picking up on it a little bit. And I I think you could look at photography, landscape photography kind of in that way too, to where you're sort of communicating your feelings and thoughts of what you captured or what you saw at that particular time in a single image. Mm -hmm. Um, So that you, you learn those two things, um, you know, sort of simultaneously, hopefully in speaking, Speaking for college age students, I'm teaching them both at the same time. Um, it's funny that my have, after thinking about this and how I was going to sort of express this uh, to your listeners, the way that I teach music sort of it, it parallels a little bit to the way that I learned photography and sort of where I feel like I am with my with my photography right now. I mean, I feel like some of my best images are of of kids in band uniforms because that's what I've shot the most, you know, uh, after seven years of shooting Alabama football. um, I have several of those images that I'm pretty proud of. Um, I've got a handful of landscape images that I'm proud of, but it's, I'm to the point to where I think I have studied the, the technical and the how to so much that I've just got to get out and do more shooting. 
Um, and, and I tend to teach my college students that way on musical side. I want them to leave their time studying with me, being able to, to basically having mastered the best that they can, the, the technical and mechanical, um, aspects of playing the instrument. They have a great sound. They have to have great rhythm. Their, their tuning has to be, you know, what we refer to as intonation has to be spot on. You know, they have to have all of those sort of technical aspects in line. And then from there, you know, it's sort of up to them to study and learn and, and, and sort of live a little bit and figure out how to turn that into something creative and inspiring for someone to listen to. So as someone who teaches, um, uh, an art form, I'm curious, I'm, I'm guessing that you've noticed that a lot of students kind of fall along a spectrum in terms of kind of their natural creative abilities. Um, is that something that you've noticed? Absolutely. Um, you know, both on both sides of that, you know, I've had students in the past that just naturally, you know, you sort of, we sort of joke that they were born and the doctor, you know, smacked them on the rear end and a great sound came out of whatever (laughs) instrument they're playing, you know, and it, it, it really does seem like there are people that are that way. There are also people on the other side that, and, and sometimes those people don't have a musical bone in their body in terms of their, um, artistic expression, you know, and it's yeah. everything, everything is just completely, you know, monotone in, in terms of their phrasing and their inflection or whatever. And then you have people on the other side of that spectrum that everything they play is just artistically, um, just, you know, really expressive and communicating all of these things and every, everything is just, you know, terrific, but the mechanics are really bad, you know, mm. so they have, they have bad rhythm or they have bad, uh, you know, a bad sound or whatever. And to me, that's like having the most epic light, um, on a, on a scene and, and it being out of focus, uh, not on purpose, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, they're, you know, they're to me, if I go listen to a concert or listen to a student, um, I'm evaluating five things right off the bat and it, and the first three of those are sound rhythm and pitch. And if, man, if those things are off, um, it doesn't matter how, to me, it doesn't matter how artistic it sounds. It doesn't matter how great the light is. If it's out of focus, it, it's, it's pretty much, unless it's intended, right? There's, I mean, there's obviously, uh, people that are creative in some ways with their, you know, with focus and intentional camera movement and stuff, but just speaking, you know, basic, you know, photography or landscape photography, if it's out of focus, it, there's no, there's no sense in really studying it for me. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's, it's like, kind of, uh, it's like if someone has an incredible composition, but their post-processing is horrible. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So there, there are, I think there are students that get it from a very early age. And I think there are students that don't get it. I do think it's, it's, I think they're it, both, both sides of it are teachable. I mean, mm, you can, that, that you was going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can teach, um, you know, you can teach someone to play with a better sound. You could teach someone to, you know, to to aspire to having a characteristic sort of set of skills. And you can also teach um, e- expression and and um, musicality and things um, if they're willing if they're willing to study it and if they're willing to put the work in. And that's the that's a challenging thing. Uh, now mm. as a different than it was 20 years ago. But I'm curious. Well, that's a whole other conversation, yeah, but it, I'm, I'm, it, it is. 
I'm curious, what are kind of the, can you compare and contrast uh, teaching uh, the craft versus the creativity side? Yeah. So the craft um, is, is early on. I mean, every student has sort of a set of fundamental exercises and what a lot of people call a warm up or a maintenance routine that they do. And that sort of sets a standard for the day and they're trying to improve, um, improve on, on those standards. And in, in the, in the teaching studio, for me, a lot of it is just sort of call and response, monkey see, monkey do. Cause I, I do think that playing an instrument like the one that I teach is very much a, uh, you, you learn a lot by imitating. Some people would call that rote teaching. I, I don't actually think that is. And so the first 20 or 30 minutes of a younger student's undergraduate student's lesson will be me playing and they have to play exactly what they hear back to me, um, with sound and the volume and the speed and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. Sorry. I lost a little bit track, uh, track your question there. <laughs> it's oh, got just, off the- yeah, no, just, um, comparing and contrasting how you would go about teaching somebody the craft versus teaching somebody the creative aspects of the art form. Yeah. So the creative aspects, um, early on you sort of, there's a lot of teaching of music theory and form and structure and just sort of how the piece is built and then showing them, um, sort of common things to do with certain phrases and certain, certain types of, of compositions. And then from there, it's really, really upon the student, I think, to listen to music and an insane amount. And, and I think this could be sort of compared to, you know, whether you look at photography or don't look at photography in terms of, in terms of learning, you know, composition or post-processing or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's a lot, a heavy, heavy amount of, of listening that should happen to a student for with, you know, during a student's development years to know what artistic, you know, to what the greatest artists on every instrument and orchestras or whatever are doing so that they know what they're supposed to copy. So it really is, um, particularly for a student that doesn't sort of already have it, you know, it, like we were talking earlier, it's, it, it's very much a listen and imitate, um, situation early on. And then you hope that it come, it, it turns from listen and imitate to, you know, have all this information that's sort of inside of you and you see a, you see a line of music or you see a piece of music and you're able to interpret that, um, intelligently on your own, you know? Um, well, I suspect in, in music, the kind of the greatest accomplishment from there would be to write your own music. Um, that's just, that's yours. You know, it's almost like, you know, people give Alex Noriega a hard time for saying that that's where he takes, that's where he wants his photography to be is he wants it to be uniquely his images. You know, he's not copying other people's photos. Um, but it seems like that is kind of in in the music world. It's kind of the difference between someone who just plays cover cover in a cover band right. versus someone who's writing their own music and and playing their own music for other people in a live situation. I think like that's the ultimate. <laughs> right, and I you know I think there's there's a similarity and a little bit a little bit of a difference in that in classical music. Like there are there are some people. You know, on every instrument, there's certainly a handful of folks on my instrument that are the absolute sort of cream of the crop. And it almost seems like unattainable. It's not unattainable, but it, it seems so far away for a student, you know, 
and you'll get it. You'll get a musician sometimes that it's a little bit hard headed that, that at least in my opinion, that wants to, well, I want to, I don't want to interpret this like this artist or that artist. I want it to be my own. I don't want to sound like them. And a lot of times my oh, reaction, my, well, my reaction is you won't sound like them because you're not them, you know, and you, you don't either have the, the physical and the technical sort of skills and skill set that they have, or you just haven't lived the way that they've lived. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you can study it and sort of get a cookie cutter copy, but I think in music, at least in my teaching, um, studying other artists and studying their playing and their phrasing and, 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 and sort of how they treat things just better informs you, you know? And I think no matter how hard I try to copy my heroes, I don't sound like them. I might, I might, you know, I might people, it, sometimes people have said that they hear a certain player's influence in my, in my playing at times. And that's, that's flattering. Um, I'm not sure that those people that I'm, uh, and they're friends of mine, I'm not going to mention their names, but I'm not sure that they would be thrilled that <laughs> they thought that, or people thought I sounded like them, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, you know, it's, you know, you're, it's always, you know, I, I, I tell my students that my ideal player is fictitious in that he has, um, you know, a bunch of different elements that I've taken from all of my favorite players and teachers over the years to try to sort of come up with this ideal, you know, this ideal player. And that's sort of what I'm trying to copy when I'm playing in my head. And I, you know, I don't think it's unlike studying and looking at photography, you know, um, I think you can probably overdo it and, and get to the point to where if you look at someone's work or look at someone's, you know, if you're about to take a trip and look at, you know, hundreds of different images taken in Rocky mountain national park, let's say, I, I can't help but think that that won't somehow influence your composition and what you, what you do with the camera when you're there. Um, but if you've never been, it's probably a good idea. You know, if you've been, 15 or 20 times, you probably should stop looking at photography and, and come up with your own creative angle, you know? And I think that's kind of what, what, you know, everybody is getting at when they're saying to try to be, you know, their own, you know, creative, whether have their own creative voice, whether it's, you know, finding your voice as a musician or finding your voice as a photographer, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. <clears throat> I guess I feel like at some point, and maybe I'm just, maybe this has been my personal experience, but, you know, I spent years and years and years studying other photographers and trying to copy some of the compositions that they, that they had and some of the techniques that they use and things of that nature. And at some point, for whatever reason, that was no longer enjoyable for me mm -hmm, to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I purposely decided to like if i if i went on a trip let's say well let's just use um yosemite for example i recently went to yosemite to teach and i'd never photographed in yosemite before and i purposely didn't look at other photographers images from yosemite before i went because i wanted to i, I don't know if challenge is the right word but i didn't want to have these kind of like preconceived ideas that forced me to interpret the, you know, what I found when I got there in a certain way. And, and, and then, and then I not see things that caught my interest. It's almost like if I'm going to use the music analogy a little bit, it's almost like Nate, for me, nature photography is kind of like assembling a bunch of jazz musicians and mm -hmm. like trying to 
you're trying to like fit in with those jazz musicians, like, you know, adjusting to kind of the rhythm and the beat and whatever that they're putting out there. And you're one of the players and, and, and as a photographer, nature of those other players and, and right. you're trying to react and adjust to kind of what they're putting out there. And to me, like that's the kind of style of nature photography that I've been enjoying is, is going into it without knowing where it's going to take me. Yeah. So, so to, to spin that another way or sort of this really the same way for me, one, one of the things that I like to do is be involved in projects to where I either commission composers to write me music or be a part of um, what are called consortium um you know, uh, commissions to where a bunch of people will get together and, and everybody chips in money and sends a composer, you know, a lump sum, whatever they need to get for that piece. And then I just actually just recently, um, in March got to do a world premiere of a new piece that was written for me and, and one of my, my mentors. Um, and for me now, if I've got a new piece of music that I need to play or, or a piece of music that is, that I haven't played in a long time or, that's in a sort of a comfortable style or genre. I don't have to go and listen to hours and hours of music from that genre or from that composer to sort of figure out what it is that I need to do musically and creatively. I'm, I pretty much have the experiences, you know, built up enough to where I can make those decisions without really consulting mm-hmm. um, any other, any other music, any other teachers really. I, I mean, it's like, I feel like, you know, and, and that's sort of where I am, but in terms of photography or so, sorry, if this were the case and I were, if this were 25 years ago, you know um, you know, the first thing that I would have to do is to have to inform myself as to what this music sounds like, what this genre is or whatever, and study like mad other, other, you know, music in that same sort of genre to figure out, to make sure that I'm making an informed decision. And I think for me or for a, maybe for a photographer early on, um, I mean, certainly you, if you, you know, if you're, if you're going out on a shoot, um, you know, and, and having looked through your portfolio and your work, I mean, obviously that's not something, you know, that, that, um, you're going to have to look at, you know, hours and hours or, or hundreds of images of Yosemite or a place like that. You're going to be able to do that. And it's sort of the same way, you know, for a, for a musician at, at, at that level, they're able to make those decisions, but, you know, if, if a photographer is their first trip ever going out, and I actually have a funny story about this, but if it's a, if they're a photographer, it's the first trip they're ever going out intentionally with their camera to capture something. They're probably not, they may not, unless they are, you know, gifted with this really great artistic eye, they may not capture anything that anybody wouldn't, wouldn't look at the first, <laughs> the first several times without having studied, you know, d- does that make sense at all? It does. I um, mean, it, I guess it's almost like, instead of comparing it to going to a new location, it's like taking up a different type of photography, like macro. Like if I've right. never used a macro lens before and I've never photographed a macro scene, I would be completely lost. Even though yeah. I, I'm a skilled landscape photographer when it comes to using a macro lens or photographing insects or whatever, like I have no idea. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I do, but like if I'd never done it before, um, it would be like, oh, I should probably do some research on how to use a macro lens. <laughs> I, and I, I, I'll bet in the current times and when we're recording this, there's a lot of people experimenting with macro photography because they're holed up in their house. And 
It is right. so hard. It is so hard. Holy cow. It's different. Um, yeah, it's way it's different. It's really hard. I mean, and along those same lines, like, you know, shooting events and portraits and weddings, like that's a completely different style of photography. I mean, you might know your craft. You might know the exposure triangle and you might understand all of that stuff. But if you've never photographed a wedding before and you go to do it for the first time, I guarantee you're going to be like, oh, how do I? Oh, crap. You know, yeah. there's going to be lots of things you're going to hit or you're going to you're not, you're not going to be able to just rely on your natural innate abilities. Yeah. And I, I, that was one of the things that I was, you know, and, and one of the other things that I had thought of that were music and photography for me, at least sort of coexist or, 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 you know, they're, they're related is knowing, you know, sort of knowing your subject, what you're shooting. I mean, my first season or two of photographing the marching band was not, I mean, it was pretty much the same composition of the same kids. And there was <laughs> nothing creative about it at all. It was just basically snapshots of, of, of whatever. Um, and after having done it for seven years and having been in marching bands my whole life and having taught marching bands at various different level, levels during the early part of my career, I sort of pretty much know and having access to to the people that design what it is they're doing and go to rehearsal and stuff. I sort of know, um, you know, I sort of know where to be and and what's going to happen and and sort of how to time it. No different than if when I'm photographing concerts, I pretty much know musically what when something's about to happen and the conductor or the singer or the whoever is about to do something that would be more photogenic than them just standing there with their music or their instrument in their hand you know right um, i would imagine sports photographers are the same way and and for landscape photography it's knowing you know light and weather and and composition and you know it's it's it really is important and it's the same way musically you know, sort of having studied, like we were talking, studying, you know, let's say if you're going to play a piece by, piece by Mozart and you've never listened to Mozart in your entire life, it, you're going to probably have a pretty stale and uninformed interpretation of that. No difference that it, different than if you're going to play salsa music and you've never really listened to or studied that sort of genre, then you're not going to sound like you belong in that, in that realm, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. photography is, and music both are so diverse in terms of the genres and just the techniques and, and the interests that I, 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 I do think that there, there's a lot of similarities there. So, yeah, it's, it seems like for in the music world, you know, you need to spend several times uh, playing a piece of music to fully understand how to interpret it. And in, you know, photography, there's eventually becomes a process by which you're able to kind of pre-visualize what the final image is supposed to look like printed. And those are in some ways similar skill sets, I would think, from a creative perspective. Yeah, I think both from the creative and from the artistic. I mean, I think in order, I tell my students this all the time, in order for them to be successful as a player, um, and that, that can mean varying different, different degrees of things. But if the, you know, some of, some of the people that come to study with me are studying because they want to play their instrument for a living, that that's their main breadwinner. A lot of them are studying with me because they want to be band directors or, or do something else, um, in, in teaching or in the music field. But a lot of them want to be players and repetition of the simplest things, you know, correct repetition of the simplest things over and over and over and over once they get to a certain proficiency level is key in that. And I, I, I kind of feel like photography in a way is that way too. 
Um, I mean, I, the, the one, one story that I have is the first time in town that I ever left my house on purpose to go photograph a landscape. Um, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, probably five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, and I go to the same location on the same day every year because I went, I set my tripod up, I pointed it at this lake. I have not seen light better in five years in any, anywhere in, in my life. And I'm thinking, well, this is the way this is supposed to happen. And, and take this photograph, edit it, you know, send it around. Then I, I entered it in a couple of these, you know, these YouTubers that have their weekly or monthly, I can't remember if it was monthly or weekly photo contest, you know, just to submit for review or whatever. And I, I sent it, the person that I sent it to is pretty famous. Um, and it won. And I'm like, well, this is easy, you know, <laughs> and, and literally anybody that's listening to this that knows me now, if, if I even remotely say, hey, let's go shoot this on this day, the conditions and the light do exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to do. So like if we're going to go out and shoot Milky Way and, and it's it's projected to be clear, we get to the site, it clouds over. Or if we want, you know, you know. <laughs> cloudy, you know, cloudy conditions to go shoot waterfalls. It's really sunny. You know, it's like, it's exactly the opposite. But what I've learned from that is I think that people that have portfolios that I admire that really, you know, professionals, they're, they're out shooting, you know, they're out shooting every day or they are, they are, um, really great in the pre-visualization and the planning of when and where they're going to go. So they're getting, they're getting some of these, you know, for lack of a better word, these epic, these epic scenes, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> I used to think that as well. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> but and obviously this is this doesn't apply to every landscape photographer and it actually probably only applies to a small portion of them, but what I actually came to realize through studying photography more and more and learning about post-processing is that a lot of the people that I used to highly admire their work, mm-hmm. I realized that a lot of it was just um, composite composite skill in Photoshop, where they would, you know, they would see an amazing sunrise or sunset or clouds or whatever, and they would photograph it, and then they would be at another scene that was amazing and had a great light, but there were no clouds, and they'd figured out a way to combine those two things and make make for a fantastic, you know, uh, final as I guess you could say it was pre-visualized in some ways, but it wasn't actually, it wasn't actually what they photographed. I mean, it was, it was two different, two or three or four different scenes kind of pieced together. And once I realized that some of my favorite photographers were doing that on a regular basis, it, it was pretty disappointing for me anyway. Yeah. And you can, you can, there's a, there's a musical correlation between that and, and what you just said too, in that recordings that you have, um, I'm going to tread lightly here, but most of them are, are, well, they're Uh all, they're all composites. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, because particularly even live recordings, if you buy a live recording from the fill in the blank symphony orchestra and it says live, um, really what that means is that there was other people in the room when it was recorded, but they could have, they could have, rec- you know, major orchestras like, you know, like the New York Philharmonic or orchestras like that, Vienna Philharmonic, whatever, play the same program multiple nights in a row. You know, they'll typically maybe have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then a Sunday matinee. So they may play the program four, maybe five times if there's a Tuesday carryover or whatever. And for a live recording, they'll record all of those performances 
and take either the best the best one or if some you know some key musician makes you know a, a, an error and it happens you know makes an error at some key key point they they may edit they may take the source material from you know friday nights to replace that you know so even live recordings a lot of the time except for you know maybe more popular you know in the pop and 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 jazz sort of genre um but i know in classical music um that you know they're all every recording is is a composite and i do a little bit of that that as well in terms of editing and producing recordings for people mm-hmm. um and it's rec- they're recorded in a way to where you you know you're going to edit it together so you know let's say the piece is 10 minutes long and it's really challenging well you you, you may only do you know 45 seconds at a time you mm-hmm. know and and make three or four passes at it and really make sure that it's that it's you know it's spot on and the player has to be able to do it but you know, the, the joke in the studio is that you only have to do it right once, you know, and, 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 and it doesn't have to be in, in the right order even, you know? And so, uh-huh. you know, that, that's, that's kind of in, in a lot of ways similar to, you know, compositing and, or, or choosing to, you know, choosing to shoot something bracketed or, you know, if you're doing astrophotography, shoot the foreground at, you know, right after the sun goes down and then wait for three hours and capture the sky, you know, and then blend those together. I mean, it's, it's, right. you know, purposeful and it's a means of artistic expression, you know, in a, in a way. So for uh, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, it's almost like um, if you follow two different musicians um, mm-hmm. that they produce, they both produce really great music that gets played. I'm just going to use, the radio i'm just gonna say you know they play it on spotify and it sounds amazing right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you go to see them both in concert live um and it's just let's say it's like a solo artist and one of them has to depend on all of these tricks when they play live you know like they have these looping things and you know they have uh, voice modulation or they even pre-recorded their voice whatever Yep. And then the other one, it's like pure live music. There's no adulteration to it. It's just they make mistakes, um, but it sounds amazing. Like yep. for me, I know which one I'd rather see live. You know, me too, me too. I, and I, I'm guessing it's the same one. In that, I, I would rather hear, you know, the real artist and warts and all. You know, because I think there's a human element there that that you know, it's uh, it's it. Every now and then, it's kind of cool to hear your heroes make a mistake. You know, it sort of it sort of brings <laughs> brings balance back to the <laughs> back to the musical world, at least. You know, yeah. Um, it's um for me, it's when I look at a lot of people's landscape photography now, it's it almost is too perfect. You know, like, yeah, yeah. The composition was perfect. The light was perfect. And you see, you go back and look at your own work and I've been doing this for over a decade and I have mm, five or six images that kind of check those boxes, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. because I was in the right place at the right time and the right conditions and, you know, everything came together perfectly. Yeah. Um, and then to, to look at other people's work and it's like their entire portfolio is just perfect. To me, it's always an indication, almost always an indication that, you know, it's, it's been, it's been curated, I guess is the way I would say. Yeah, it. yeah exactly. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's not a bad thing. I just, I guess for me, it's like, it's not, uh, I don't know. It's not realistic in terms I, of, I, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Well, I was going to say, I agree. And I, and I think the, the, 
photography that I look at and admire the most. I mean, you know, the, the, the more I sort of get into this and study it and, and as, like I was saying before we started recording, like I've used a lot of this downtime, um, basically having been off of teaching for two weeks and now we just completed our first week of sort of remote teaching, um, you know, online, but I used, um, a lot of time to sort of catch up on some post-processing tutorials and things that I've, you know, that I've, uh, had bought and hadn't, hadn't watched and sort of used the, used the time to sort of learn those things. But, you know, the photography that I look at, um, tends to, to be, and that I admire tends to sort of fall into the category of what it is that you're describing. You know, it's like, I think a lot of times you've probably had this experience. I know your listeners probably have where they're scrolling through their Instagram feed, let's say, and something just sort of jumps off the screen. Well, the first thing that I do is I'll pinch and zoom in to sort of see it's like, no, nope, that, that, or, or I, I, I sort of have gotten a little bit to where I question just about everything I see, you know, um, to, to, well, did that really happen? Were they really there? That kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess kind of along those lines, you know, there's, there's, there's these kind of, I don't know, tropes that are kind of, that I see emerge from time to time that people copy and emulate. And I'm sure the same thing kind of happens in music because it's like, oh, this artist did it and it was like a highly successful technique and now everyone's doing it. And um, like some of those are, you know, when people add like little glow balls, like at the top of waterfalls or at the edge of the scene to kind of make, make it seem like the sun was there when it really wasn't. Um, yeah. Or, or well, it's interesting. It's interesting to, to make a comparison to classical music in particular, because you could look back to trace back all the way back to medieval times to where basically each sort of period of classical music and each sort of period and style of composition has sort of been a copy or emulate what happened before and then make it make it different, you know, and, and (laughs) whether it's Mozart and Haydn and Beethoven and Brahms, and then, you know, even farther later, I mean, there's, there's absolutely points in a lot of music and even in modern classical music to where, you know, you're, you know, you can see this, this composer is tipping their hat to this piece of music or this composer, or in some, in some cases, you know, making fun of, of it. Um, but it's it's you know it in classical music at least in composition you know I think it's it's it is a, a, a there there's a lot of that I think more in your pop and and it's it's not um, it's not looked in, at least in my experience it's not looked down upon like you like you would um, with what you described in terms of you know photography's putting a light ball light ball up at the top of the of the of the um, waterfall or having, you know, huge, huge, you know, huge subject in the foreground. And like that's, that's been a topic of discussion uh, lately, you know, on, on the podcast. But I think in popular music, um, you, you have a lot more of that to where, oh, this technique works. So I'm going to copy this. And where what you end up having, at least in my um, feeling in terms of current day popular music, and this, this makes me sort of sound like an old stick in the mud, but you know, (laughs) pop, pop music isn't as good now as it was when I was. And I think every, when I was a kid, and I think every generation would, would probably agree with that or would say that, but you, you get to where all the music you turn on the radio artist after artist after artist, they all sound the same, you know, and it's, and it's because they're imitating, you know, some, some technique, some, you know, 
hook, some riff, some whatever. And I think, you, you know, you, you, you thumb through Instagram or Flickr or wherever you can consume image images. There's a lot of similarity, you know, on, on a lot of people's feed. And I think that's, if I'm hearing you right, that's kind of what you're getting at. Um, yeah, I was, I, I would love to hear about in the music industry or, you know, in circles of musicians, um, like, I don't know if musicians do this, but in photography, you know, you get a group of photographers together um, and you start talking about different um, photographers work that you like or don't like. And, um, and, you know, you just start identifying some of those trends or things like that, or like what makes a certain photographer more successful than others, or what do you like about a certain photographer's images that you don't like about other people's images. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and what I've found too is that online, you know, you have, um, I've seen that there's a lot of photographers, they'll put their work up, they'll post it in a group. Um, the general public, let's say people that are listening to pop music mm-hmm, <laughs> or mm-hmm. what, or consuming pop photography, um, they, they just, they're in love with it. They think it's the most amazing photo they've ever seen. The more well established photographers who've been doing it a long time can kind of see it for what it is in terms of how they, created it you know like oh there's a there's that glow ball or hope they stretch the mountain to make it look bigger than it is like like they see right through what it what it actually is and then they make a comment about it like oh that's you achieved that because you did this and then that photographer gets really upset about it um because you're i don't know like you're criticizing their work or i've seen some people say like oh you're being the photo police and right and I'm wondering, like, does that exist in the music world? You know, it does. I think in my circles, uh, I'm not sure that too many people have the stones to actually put that on someone's Facebook wall <laughs> or, <laughs> or actually, actually, I mean, there, so yeah, it's, there, there are some forums and some, some, you know, some groups and different things that I, you know, in terms of, I mean, I, I pretty much use social, social media to connect for me to, con, uh, to connect with photographers, oddly enough, you know, cause I, I get, I get really inspired by seeing people's work or whatever, but from a musical standpoint, I mean, I, I really do feel like the musical, the music business, at least the, the small little sliver of it that I exist in, which is classical trombone. I mean, it's a pretty small, it's a pretty small world. And there, there, there are, people that sort of voice their opinions here and there, but they're, they're not long for, for, uh, their participation and such because it kind of, you know what I mean? It, it, it gets back. So, um, it does happen though, when you get a group of professionals together or even at a conference or whatever, and you hear all these players and they're people, people are as opinionated about what other people say and sort of what they're doing as I think that photographers are. I just, I don't know, if there is, if there is uh, brave enough to sort of post that and put that out in the world, um, <laughs> you know, the, as, as what you're describing, um, I certainly wouldn't because <laughs> I would definitely come back to, uh, come back to bite me. So, yeah, I know it's interesting. I, I can see both sides of that because I, I do think that there is some truth in the fact that, or I guess the opinion that some photographers think that the, photography community is kind of toxic in terms of um, criticizing the post-processing of other people or the choices that they make in terms of, you know, compositing or whatever. 
mm-hmm. um, but on the flip side of that, I mean, doesn't that happen in almost every art form? Like if someone is doing something that either, you know, is kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a hard time making the parallels to music, but if, 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 a, if an artist was super popular in the community of music because they relied on some simple trick, like maybe they have this loop recording Mm -hmm. uh or something like that that's playing in the background and non-musicians don't know about it they just think it sounds good Mm -hmm. but the musicians are all like oh that's just a little yeah trick they're doing this 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 is really common if you get a group of of classical musicians together and you you start discussing you know pop music and really you know in terms of these people's training and you you hear all these people that are that are you know classical musicians at whatever level may, let's not even let's leave the the highest you know percentage level of those people out of the mix let's just you know sort of your middle of the road successful classical musician sort of complaining about pop musicians that make you know millions and millions and millions you know of dollars doing these quote unquote tricks it's always kind of funny to me it's like well you know if i could figure out how to make that kind of money doing what i'm doing i would try to do it you know <laughs> but doesn't mean you have to like it but um it, there is you do hear a lot of that you, you know just sort of classical musicians sort of carrying on about you know how terrible pop music is or how how bad this is or how bad that is but you know i i think there's room for i think there's room for all of it and i think the the cool thing about it is that that you know, you don't have to like everything and, and you don't, you know, it's, you have to be open-minded and, and appreciate it for what it is. And there are times where I want to sit down and listen to, to Bach and, and Mozart and, and what's considered some of the highest forms of art music. And there are other times that I want to listen to heavy metal or rap or something else, you know, but just sure. in the, in the, the, whatever context of, you know, um, what I'm doing, you know, I'm not going to listen to a beautiful symphony when I'm, when I'm mowing the grass, you know, I'm going to listen to something that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, just, right. it's sort of, different. so I try not to, I try not to complain and sort of point fingers. I mean, there's definitely music that I hate and there's music that I love and, but it's, you know, I can appreciate just about all of it. So. Mm. Yeah. I guess the, the only other um, parallel that I was going to try to make was, it's almost, it would almost be like if there was pop musicians that were, um, and maybe this is a thing, I don't even know, but let's say there was pop musicians that were calling their work classical Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and trying to put it out there as classical music. I'm sure classical musicians would be like, well, hold on a second. That's not classical music. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know, you, there's, you could look in pop music veins. There's a lot of sort of cross genre sort of deal to where, you know, is this, is this artist a country artist or are they a pop artist or are they a R and B artist or whatever? And I, I feel like sometimes they sort of throw their, their hat in the ring and all those until they, they get one that sticks and it's going to be the most profitable. And then they yeah. either go that way or sell out or however you want to, however you want to call it, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think the classical music circles would, would, would take, you know, actually though, there's a couple of exceptions to that. Um, and the one exception that I can think of is this this guy named Chris Feely. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work or not. I don't think he's, so. He's a mandolin player, and he he is the guy that does what used to be the um, man the Garrison Keeler show, Prairie Home Companion. I think it is oh, what uh-huh. it was called on NPR. Now it's called something else, and I can't for the life of me think of what it's called. I listen to it all the time. I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, he is a a mandolin player and his sort of specialty is is bluegrass 
um, mandolin. And he, he had a, a group called, and I think it's still in existence or it's coming back, a group called Nickel Creek. And then there's another group that he's oh, right. in that, you know, about Nickel Creek. Yeah, um, right, right. And then Punch Brothers is sort of another one of his projects. And then he's got a lot of solo projects. But one of the albums that he has a couple of albums out of classical music where he's playing Bach violin partitas on the mandolin. And it, it is mind blowing to listen to, Hmm. you know, and I don't think, I don't think that Bach would have ever intended that to even be used in the same sentence as mandolin. And he's recorded with Yo-Yo Ma and all these, all these outrageously um, highest level classical musicians. And, and it, it doesn't seem in the, in one um one lick out of place another artist for me that's that way is bobby mcferrin um you know he's known as sort of the don't worry be happy guy right but if you listen to him sing classical music or you know for the longest time he can he was the conductor of the saint paul chamber orchestra uh in minneapolis and i remember going to hear a set of concerts where he did you know uh i think it was a mozart requiem three or four nights in a row and it was just outrageous and and you know, late in life, he's not, not a classically trained musician, but just someone that is just artistically gifted. Um, yeah. And th- those are two people that I look, look to in terms of cross genre that, that it doesn't matter what they played. They could play, they could play guitar, they could play a jaw harp. It wouldn't matter. It would be autistic art, or artistic and, um, and, and at the highest level. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, I personally find a lot of the work of the people that are, you know, doing composites and stuff like so that's some of that stuff is freaking amazing. I mean, it's it's fascinating, it's incredible. Some of the stuff people are doing, I mean, it's 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 mind-blowing. I think where I get caught up is when they try to pass it off as, you know, being a real experience when it wasn't. Yep. Um yeah, and, and you when see you that fi- a lot. Yeah. And when you figure that out as, as a, a, you know, when you're early in your, in your photography life, life, when you figure out that, you know, a lot of this is not being captured in one frame and then it sort of, you know, then that and sort of informs your own photography and informs sort of what you're, what you expect out of yourself when you go out to, to do a, you know, to do a shoot or, or, or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like I said, it's like the first time I ever went out, it was like, it was I just couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this must be the way the sunrise is every day. Cause I had never <laughs> I hadn't been up early enough to see it, you know? Um, and I can tell you from having been back to that place, you know, probably 25 times, um, uh, uh, just about three weeks ago, we had pretty decent light that lasted for about 45 seconds. Um, and the rest of the time I've been out there, it's beautiful, but it's not like it was that day, you know? Right. Um, and you, I just sort of expected it to be that way every time you go out because, you know, that's, that's what everybody's pictures looks like. So it must be happening, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious, kind of sh- shifting gears a bit. Um, mm-hmm. how does photography differ as a creative outlet from music? Uh, in music, most of the time, unless you are composing music for yourself in music, you are sort of interpreting and communicating with an audience what you're well let me let me rephrase that you're communicating with an ob- an audience what you're interpreting someone else's work to be so if you if you play a piece by bach i've used that a bunch of times you're trying to communicate what you think bach's intentions were with that piece or you're communicating what you think that piece means to to you to the audience and i tell my students all the time it's like when you play 
you really need to be, you need to try to tap into this idea of communication. Okay. And it's not, and I, I'll actually have them come in and write little stories to some of their, their pieces. Like if I tell them, if this were on the screen and it were a movie soundtrack, what would be going on? You know, if John Williams had written oh, yeah. this, what would be going on on the movie screen? And so have them come up with sometimes some incredibly comical um, uh, storylines that they come up with. But okay, now I want to hear that in your playing. And mm. I tell them that the idea is not that the listener can guess um, what it is you're, you're, you're trying to tell them, but they hear something being communicated and then they interpret that for themselves, you know? So from a musical standpoint, you have, unless you're composing yourself or you're improvising, you have, there's a middle, there's a middleman or woman there, like the composer. You know, I think for photography, you're almost in control. Uh, th- that middleman is, is left out in a way, I think, because you, you go to a scene, you do your research, you find something, you see something compositionally, then you, you take that photograph and then go back and process it and send it to people. And it's, you know, it's, I think if I'm making any sense, it's like, there's one less sort of rung in the, in the, in the process there. Um, whereas in, in music, you, you're, you're interpreting someone else's work. Um, again, unless you're improvising or composing yourself, does that, does that make any sense at all? It does. I'm curious though. It seems like you could re-add that step in as a photographer because, you know, you're talking about pre-visual, pre-visualization earlier. And I wonder like if I'm a landscape or nature photographer, but I want to tell a very specific story, it seems like that would kind of help inform what you choose to include or not include in your composition. It would also help inform the type of light you're trying to seek um, instead of like, as you were saying, instead of just responding to what you find when you get there, actually purposefully um, seeking out various visual elements to tell the story that you want to tell. Right, exactly. And I, I think, and in, in, in so if you look at it that way, I hadn't thought of it that way. It is maybe the middleman isn't there or the middleman is yourself <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and the, and the pre, the pre visualization and planning and, and, and all of that, you know, um, I'll know now, I know now for me when I go out and, and I'm doing shots, like I'm, I'm, I'm I, I really probably think more about how I'm going to, I mean, obviously composition and depth of field in the field, but then I'm thinking, more about how I'm going to, what I'm going to do with this photo once I get it home um, and make sure that I technically capture it in the way that I'm going to be able to process it that way. So in, in a way that's a pre-visualization, you know, whether it's stacking, um, you know, focus stacking or whether it's, you know, stacking multiple images of the sky for a Milky Way or, you know, you know, uh, either brackettings for, for, you know, exposure blending or, or whatever, you know, it's so in a way it's, it's kind of the same way. It's just that you're composing, you're the, you're the, you're the composer and the performer rather than, you know, the, the composer being someone that that is you've never met or that's been dead for 300 years, um, in, in the mix there. Yeah. And I think an even more interesting twist to that, which I was trying to convince my friends to do on a recent photo trip. Um, I've been wanting to kind of collaborate with a group of people that I've done a trip with to, you know, like if you all go to the same locations over the course of, you know, five or six days and take photos, each one of you send a photo to the other two or three people and vice versa. They send you two or three photos of the of theirs and then you post process them uh yeah i 
I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I've always talked. I've got a handful of buddies that I I shoot with all the time that we've talked about doing this a lot. I think it would be really, really beneficial and and fun to sort of see what someone else's vision would do with that raw file that you that you captured. You know, yeah. I think that's that's really neat. And you know, we I, I run a I, I I'm involved in our local church, and they and we have. Um, all these small groups and they allow you to sort of put these small groups together based on whatever topic you want. And me and a couple of friends of mine are running one on photography and we have, um, we have several people coming in and we've been having to meet on zoom um, because (laughs) we're not, you know, we're not allowed to be anywhere near each other. And so we've been doing a little bit of editing on there and to test it with one of the other guys, we, we got in and sort of had showed each other, with the screen sharing, what we had done with an image that we shot with our tripods, literally six feet apart. Like we were, we were being pretty, pretty uh, literal with the social distancing thing. This was a couple of weeks ago before it sort of got nuts here, but, yeah. um, and you know, obviously the, the pictures were at the exact same time. I mean, I think we even looked at the timestamp. They may have been a minute apart because the light was doing what we wanted to do at, at that time but they all three look very different. And, and so it's like, well, let's get on here and show each other what we did to edit them. And, and that was beneficial, but I I think that would be a, and that, that could be something that, that people could do as they're sort of quarantined is just get with some buddies and send, you know, put raw files in the Dropbox and have everybody edit them. I think that'd be, I think that's, that's kind of a cool idea actually. Yeah. I, I, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, cool, man. So kind of winding down, I'm curious, who would you think our listeners would love to have here on the show? Well, I, you know, if, if there are other listeners out there, other, you know, maybe patrons of the show or just people that, that have full-time kind of time consuming day jobs and lives with, with, you know, the, the traditional, wife and two kids and picket fence and a dog and, you know, and, and a hobby or whatever, just, I, I'm always interested in hearing people on the show that have, or, you know, hearing from people that how they make time for their, for the photography and how they get out and all that sort of stuff. And one person that sort of comes to mind is a guy that I've sort of connected with again, over social media that does a ton of Astro stuff. His name is Phil Sisto and I can send you, I can send you, um, his Instagram handle or whatever you might could reach out for him there. Um, so people like that. Um, and that's the one guy that comes to mind. A couple other people that come to mind that I, that I, I really sort of, I like, and one is, uh, is a guy named Alan Wallace. Are you familiar with his work? The he does a lot of astrophotography. I'm not um, actually, he, he has a, uh, a YouTube channel and lots of really great sort of astro adventure type videos. And it's, it's less deep space and more sort of Northern lights and, and meteor showers and, and Milky Way type stuff. But I, I think it's really, really well done. And then another photographer that I really admire that has probably nothing to do with the whole landscape photography um, um, mission of the show, but a guy that that is the full-time photographer for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. He does a ton of portraiture. He shoots NFL sports. He's uh, he he sort of does everything. His name is Todd Rosenberg. I'm not sure if he would it might be something that would be a different you know a little bit of a change of pace just to sort of hear what sort of life is like. I mean, he's had he's had, you know, Time magazine covers and Sports Illustrated covers and that's and cool. Tra- travels with these orchestras to Europe on tour and it's just 
the the images that he captures uh, are are really really um, stunning at the and just compositionally and everything. So he he might be somebody interesting to talk to just to um, have a different perspective on photography um, other than maybe the landscape slant. So yeah, cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate those recommendations. Yeah, of course. Well, awesome, man. This has been. Uh, a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to to, to chat. Absolutely, and I'm I'm really honored to be to be on and 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 uh, look forward to you know many more years of great content on your on your podcast. So, well, here's here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to John for joining us on the podcast this week to chat. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I wish you all the best in your coming year. And congratulations on being appointed a full professor. Keep up the great work. All right, well, we're still going strong on releasing new content over on Patreon for supporters of the podcast. There's over 100 bonus episodes over there, including over 13 hours of additional conversation, covering a wide variety of topics from macro photography, philosophical debates, business ideas, and a lot more. Join the other 138 awesome supporters of the show by heading over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. All right, well, here's what's coming up on the podcast. I recently recorded a great conversation with Tony Torino. She is the founder of Pacific Northwest Photo Summit and has some she has some incredible ideas on how to pivot as a photographer and business person during the during and after COVID-19. I also recorded a wonderful conversation with Brooks Jensen, the founder and publisher of Lenswork Magazine. And I also recorded a thought-provoking panel discussion with eight of our field's best photographers, who also happen to be women, and we discussed the topic of gender and how they see it in our industry. Buckle your seatbelts for that one. I've also got some upcoming recordings with Christian Fletcher, Nick Carver, and John Barkley. Well, if you're looking to maybe get your name out there or join me on the podcast for a conversation, feel free to reach out. I'm always looking for more thought-provoking guests. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week. Thank you.